This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. How are you doing? All good for Tuesday. Terrible Tuesday. 101. 101. Terrible Tuesday swim at lunchtime. Oh, that's not good. We do 2200s slightly too fast with not enough rest that's why it's called terrible that is terrible yeah i'd stay home and have a cup of tea if i were you it's better than mediocre monday (laughs) (laughs) and who are we talking with today Today we are talking with someone who would introduce himself as just a farmer from Wainui, which is a um, little rural settlement settlement on the Opotiki side of Katani. But in actual fact, Dr Hayden Reid um, is a restorer of a, a magnificent wetland, um, a, probably the number one fan of the chiefs, always forgiving every mistake they ever make. Uh, and a couple of master's degrees and a PhD, expert in infrastructure, um, called on around the world for his insight into things and pretty smart dude actually and my friend and welcome Hayden. Kia ora, kia ora. Half of that was true everybody just saying. (laughs) Because the chiefs never make any mistakes that need excusing right? (laughs) Yeah and I'll let it go. (laughs) (laughs) So how was your lockdown the first one? Uh, I'm a little bit privileged. Um, well, actually, it started off uh, a bit scary because um, we were in London and um, uh, a couple of folk slammed an aeroplane door uh, behind us as we jumped on pretty much the last flight back to New Zealand. Um, uh, my darling wife and I and a couple of friends were overseas. So um, we were like in the thick of it. Um, so we flew out on the Thursday uh, and they they literally closed the borders in New Zealand a couple of days later. We were supposed to go to Rome, as it turns out, and that kind of didn't work out very well. Um, and then we, uh, in, the, in those in the very early days, you you didn't uh, you weren't put into um, into hotels into your two weeks. We we but we did come home to our, we've got a, um, a a lifestyle block halfway between uh, Ohopi and Apotiki in the in the Bay of Plenty of New Zealand. So when we well, we're kind of isolated anyway, if I could put it that way, and because uh, we live in a little piece of paradise, uh, I would say we had a privileged uh, lockdown. Um, we have 
cows, sheep, pigs, chickens, gardens, and things like that. So it's a real McDonald's farm. So we, you know, I, I, I dare say we were one of the privileged few. But uh, my my darling wife um, is a, a group GM for uh, what we call the Ministry of Social Development here in New Zealand, which is effectively runs the welfare state. Uh, so she disappeared for six weeks uh, after she did her two weeks to help uh, help New Zealand Inc. I get I guess. Uh, get through with um, things like wage subsidies and stuff like that. She runs the, the operations for that. So, yeah, she was very busy. I was very busy helping uh, an iwi up the coast. But, um, yeah, that no, was a bit of a crazy time, but no no less than anybody else, I suspect. Were you doing the working from home thing? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, then um, after my two weeks, and I went on your safe... I actually stationed myself up um, with Te Whanamapanui, one of the iwi up the coasts of uh, of the east coast of New Zealand, and it was a bit topical here at home, obviously, because we um, put community safety zones in place and shut state highways, and so um, I had a, a a role within that. Uh, I was uh, responsible for the the folk moving in and out who had the permissions to do that under the lockdown. So that was. Um, under essential services. So, in, uh, unfortunately, well, well, just I guess uh, a matter of timing, the uh, the kiwi fruit industry was uh, harvesting kiwi fruit, and uh, the maize was being harvested. So there was a lot of people actually uh, able to move in and around reasonably freely in um, uh, in level uh, three, but with quite strict criteria when they did that. So we. Um, we set up the community safety zones at the at the state highway at Hawaii, and uh, we built an app. We tracked and traced everybody um, digitally, um, and knew where they were going, and they basically registered to get in. So, yeah, so it was uh, interesting times, but we uh, we did something exceptional up there actually, and people are wondering, are still wondering uh, a little bit about how we did that, uh, and. Um, and the benefit that it created at the time. So, yeah, that was really interesting. Why do you think we as a country have been so successful, so far at least? And uh, I think we will get over the the, the challenges we've got in front of us uh, in the last, uh, you know, literally few days. Um, Basically, we're, to be honest, we're a pretty educated nation. We kind of get... The, the logic, and to be fair, the the, the centre, if I could call the government the centre, has um, has been particularly uh, communicative uh, about what's going on. Um, you know, you got the right guy fronting it with the PM, who's obviously responsible for uh, health in New Zealand, and and to be fair, the government uh, are taking the advice from the from the, the subject matter experts, in this case, the health um, professionals. <clears throat> so, um, and New Zealand, because they're relatively well-educated and there's a little bit of, um, I guess, heat at, at the right pain points around making sure people do what they want to do. And it's a very small minority that don't, to be fair. Um, because we're educated, we get it, and we want to make sure that everybody's safe. And, and that includes... Our, our close to loved ones, our grandparents and, and, and the like. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's 
most of the reason, to be honest. Other than the fact that we're obviously, you know, bound by a, a very large distance of water with everybody. But actually, internally, we've been pretty smart too. So, you know, I think that's probably most of the reason. Yeah, the moat the moat certainly helps, and and people look mm. at our our um our population and say, well, look, you're so spread out, but we're more urbanised than the UK. Yeah, we move around a lot too. You know, um, I just you know I travel a little bit with my work, and as as does my my darling wife, and I, I guess I've probably jumped on the plane. Uh, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say a dozen times in the last. Uh, four or five weeks but it might be and uh, my wife has done the same thing so we move around a lot you know our jobs take us to different places as, as many New Zealanders do so um, I, I just think um, it's more about you know we're a bit more um, what's the right words here we're probably a bit more um, attentive to um, to the issues because we are we do get the, the, you know, what the ramifications are. And we've actually, you know, with the recent, um, you know, second wave, if I could put it that way, even though it's relatively early days, um, you know, people are, are being pretty steadfast and making sure. And the government's responded accordingly, you know. They've obviously closed Auckland down um, and made sure that people are very aware uh, and, and follow certain protocols. And to be fair, most people are. I mean, even where we are, so it's quite rural. There's still several thousand people in our town. You know, it could get nasty if people didn't. But no, people are pretty, um, pretty pragmatic with respect to this. So that's encouraging.
we're great travellers, but we're not going to be travelling for a for a while. Certainly not this year. And I've just told conference organisers I won't be travelling in March next year. How long do you think we can stick this out? I think the short answer is as long as we have to, isn't it? It's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> uh, this is the first. Literally uh, yesterday was my darling daughter's. Uh, birthday and and she lives in Queensland in Australia. It's the first time in in her whole life that I haven't been there on her birthday. So that was a bit scary. So it's a small thing, but it just shows you that things that are important to you if, is however however small they might uh, be to others that are very important to you. This thing's gonna keep keeping on. I think so. I don't know, I, I guess the sense of people in New Zealand is, hey, until you find something that eradicates this, just stay away. <laughs> Unless you want to go through the protocol of, you know, going out and having a great time at, at whatever risk you choose to take. And when you come back, you write a cheque, you stay uh, in a in a place that's uh, dedicated to making sure that you are COVID-free and letting you out after a couple of weeks. But I just think it's going to, fundamentally change um, I guess how and who we are and how we operate globally quite frankly I don't think people you know we've gone to a lot of effort and a lot of expense to keep ourselves safe uh, to open up the borders um, and it will be done with a with an enormous amount of care I suspect so yeah I, I think we're in for a very different place to be honest is it a? Do we have to like redesign a new system, or is is it a tweaking of the systems that we have to 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 move to something longer term? Yeah, Sam, that's a really good question because um, I have a sense this is you know you ha- you do have to look at this as a systems view, right? Because if you just tweak stuff, then you're going to get some unintended consequences. Um, in places that you didn't consider properly uh, with respect to um, the outcome you're trying to achieve. That's a pretty standard view of the world. If you look at things, um, you know, some people call it a helicopter view. Some people call it strategically. Someone call, some people call it with a you know, systems view. But I'm, I'm pretty damn sure that there's a fundamental shift in the centre of how we do this that will be required what that is is probably up for debate for 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 a little bit of time, um, but I, I think tweaking it's going to be a problem. <clears throat> so um, yeah, I think we're in for a a very different reality uh, crossing borders in the future, and for good reason. The key part of the message has been be kind, and we've talked to lots of people about why that's worked from a a community perspective does it also translate into those sorts of system design questions or the the, the operational questions i think it has to uh sam if you if you know you, you never you know you never pay out on people who get cancer i mean you know just being a little bit provocative for a second it is what it is you know people draw some short straws on stuff and when um, people get sick and vulnerabilities, you want to make sure you look after them. So I think the important thing here is making sure that you have a, a clean line of sight uh, with an outcome that 
that keeps communities and and individuals safe, uh, whether they have it or they don't have it. You know, we've seen a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, social media stuff around people have got COVID, and uh, in, in many cases through no you know through no fault of their own, they're they're sick. But we should be hyper empathetic to it. Make sure that they're given the best care, so they get over it, so they get back to normal again. I just I, I find it. Um, Bewildering that people have an have an attitude, a disingenuous attitude to people who who get who get crook with this. So um, yeah, we got to be way better than that. And and you know New Zealand's a pretty good place um, with respect to most of that stuff. Not saying we're perfect, but we we do need to get better. So the messaging I think from um, from the centre, from government, and particularly the PM, um, has been pretty on. What I'd say, pretty much on point, if I could be honest. We just have to get good at it. Do you think it will be seen in? I, I'm wondering if that's going to have a, a lasting effect. And um, we were speaking to someone early on who was talking about the, the effect of the move to well-being. And she was saying, yeah, it's all very well and good, move to well-being, social justice and so on. But then you get a contract from the Ministry of Health and it's still lowest bidder. Yeah, I, I think there's some um, institutional arrangements. And that's to my point, you know, around um, unintended consequences. I think um, it's really important that um, that people and process – people being the people who organise uh, the processes, come, you know, swing into line with respect to that. You, you do have to put some, a little bit of tension around it, to be fair, because you, you don't want it costing an unreasonable amount of money either. You know, it's about public dollars and things like that. So that's, you know, that's a reasonable because we all got to pay for it, right? But I, I do think that, um, that, you know, lowest price, that's a straight economic question. It doesn't consider the social, the cultural, or environmental implications potentially. So we we just have to be a bit smarter, and that's that's really what we're talking about. It's about getting smart. And um, you know, we're only we're very new. We're still in our nappies with respect to well-being. Um, but we have to, you know, and we have to learn how to get better to do that. That's why I think if you scratch around the edges or or or, or whatever a phrase you care to use around not doing a, a bit of a, a, a shift. From the centre, I think I think you'll end up stubbing your toe. If I could put it that way. So, Mawera described you as an expert on infrastructure. Is there an infrastructure of well-being or of kindness? <laughs> Where is it? You got to go to Bhutan and ask that, don't you? Um, I think I think I think um, infrastructure. I'm a, I'm a bricks and mortar kind of guy. If I if I put it one way, but. Bricks and mortar, um, it's really interesting. Uh, in more recent years, we've kind of figured out you don't actually build infrastructure for anything else other than social outcomes. And it might sound a bit odd when you think about it um, in the first pass, but in reality, it's, it's true. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you build water and wastewater networks for one particular health outcome. That's it. Just health, clean drinking water. And we've got a couple of poster children examples in New Zealand more recent years with, obviously, with Christchurch when people didn't have it and and uh, and in around the same time with Havelock North when things went 
a bit pear-shaped and, uh, you know, got contaminated water supplies. It's amazing how quickly um, the, the country or the, the communities uh, respond when things don't go well, right? I think we're just, we're just kind of learning how to measure uh, bricks and mortar with those sorts of outcomes. Uh, buildings are another example. You know, the reality is the more, um, you know, housing that we have, the more people that are housed appropriately, libraries, um, museums, art galleries, all those sorts of, the, the more of those you have in a community, the better the, the higher and standard of living there is. You've only got to go to Dar es Salaam to figure out that that's not too far from the truth. So, um, but we don't kind of measure the community outputs, the, the socially constructed outcomes with respect to those things that we build in bricks and mortar. So to the well-being, going back to your question about the well-being, um, you need, we need to learn how to measure that stuff in a completely different way than we currently do, and we're not very good at it yet. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nga mihi aroha nui, kia koutou kotawaho. Hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling, very uplifting, very sustaining, very nourishing and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you so i had some wonderful news today i'm very excited to share with you all that harvey penfold and i the pika pika bird feeder dream team we have been nominated for a keep dunedin beautiful award which is so exciting and so, of course, this for me really sparked off a lot of thinking that I'm excited to share with you. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity each day to connect with you all. So, of course, an award like Keep Dunedin Beautiful is very special. And Keep Dunedin Beautiful is so much to do with our shared experience and our shared love for our home and our co-evolution that we're all contributing to in terms of how we share our space with those around us of all species, from the tiniest algae to our fellow human animals. And of course, other creations that we have made as a species contribute to this. But of course, the creation that we're all making together all species are contributing to at all times so it's wonderful that our bird feeders have been recognized and perceived as contributing to this shared beauty and of course when i got this news i started thinking about the language that is being utilized to help celebrate and vision our reality in this way and I love the phrase keep Dunedin beautiful because of course the language which is being used is speaking of a long-term kaitiakitanga guardianship a long-term acknowledgement of beauty and that understanding of all the love that we feel being reflected back to us in the form of beauty 
hand, this notion of reciprocity, of course, constantly surrounds us, whether or not we are consciously aware of it, we are in relationship with all life around us, with every, every aspect of our life we are in relationship with. And so I love this idea of an award ceremony for all of that reciprocity, all of that relationship that has been taking place for the last several hundred years here in Aotearoa's Dunedin, but of course has actually been going on for billions of years on our paradise planet. And I think that that reciprocity and that relationship, loving the world around you and what you see and caring for it, is beautiful. And when we feel that love for the world around us and we appreciate the gift that the world around us is giving us, we too can feel loved by the world. We too can feel supported by the world. And when we are appreciating the beauty of our home, we're so lucky in Aotearoa that a lot of conservation work has been ongoing here. We still have so much beautiful nature surrounding us here. We too can appreciate ourselves in a new way, that we are connected to all this life and that we are beautiful too. So I really hope that for all of you, you're finding ways to keep your home beautiful and keep perceiving the beauty and celebrating the beauty around you and keep remembering and knowing that you are part of that beauty too. You are beautiful. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks, I'm Kakite. I like that maxim, you don't build infrastructure for anything except social outcomes. That connection has been made really clear to us over this time when it's been made obvious that we are talking about systems in that we know we can't separate the, the health response from the economic response. We've said we've right. got to fix this, then we can then we can do the economics. And I think other countries that have tried to keep the economy open and so not done as a, a hard and fast shutdown like we did, have suffered a bit from it. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit, um, a little bit off centre here. But I actually, I actually, I don't think I am. If, if I could, either. You know, when do you, when do you ever give up people's lives for, um, for economics? I don't remember about that. It's not who we are. So, you know, health health first, and um, health and well-being first, and economic wealth second. Because you don't get the second one unless the first one's apparent. Go and ask um, a couple of developing countries what that's like. It doesn't make any sense. Now, I get there's some economic issues with, with, with respect to what we're doing. But, hey, we've got to look after our folk first. And I, I'm... I'm a bit old school, you know. My mum and dad and my grandparents taught me things called values of valuing people first. So I suspect we should just do that. And we just need to bolt ourselves down, you know, to make sure that people are. And if we have to look at, you know, some of us have have the privilege of having a bit more than others, well, maybe maybe we have to do some extraordinary things where people have a little bit more than others do. And we need to to, to share that. Then we can find a way to do that. Because I'm sure, you know, when when it comes to the real crunch, then most of New Zealand would chip in to help the rest of NZ that 
don't have the privilege that some of us do. So what do you think we can learn from all of this for the the bigger questions, the intergenerational questions of climate change and social justice and so on? I think um, what's really interesting is the, the, the narrative, the dialogue that's going on at a national level. I think that's one of the more impressive things that's going on at the moment. We have a, it's like a, a common voice, if I could put it that way. <clears throat> it makes me wonder why we don't exercise this in this way for other really important discussions uh, um, that we need to have. And climate change is a really good one. You know, it affects every shoreline. Um, um, you won't know this, but um, a few of us did a bit of work in Wellington um, about where where the line would be with respect to the sea level rise in 2100. I, I think Lambton Key's under about a metre of water or thereabouts. Um, so there's enormous questions. Um, and, and, I, and I can tell you, there's a, parts of Auckland and other towns and cities around New Zealand that will be in a similar kind of um, circumstance. And, you know, it was in 2000, it was 100 years away. Now it's just 80. It sounds like a long time, but it's not, you know. So, um, and we are literally in Wellington talking between 20, 10 and $20 billion worth of infrastructure up the water. It's just crazy, right? And nobody seems to be talking about it. That just drives me mad, actually, to be honest. Um, so my, I'll go back to my point. I, I think the, the platform for um, really important discussions, national discussions like climate change, um, looks like it might have been created in a form with COVID to enable them to happen in a coherent way. Whether it does or not is another question. That's... Um, because there's a slow burn on people drowning underwater than there is with people being sick with COVID. One's a very much slower version of the other, but no less of an imperative, I can promise you. And it, this has shown us that change is possible, but as you've just said, that's that slow burn. We're rubbish at doing anything about slow change. Yeah. Um, no, we're really rubbish, if I could put it that way. I mean... You know, one of the one of the um, <laughs> if I could use the word, one of the myocardial infarctions on all of this is that um, the assets are uh, you know they last a hundred years and the political cycles three. It, it's you know the the drivers for survival for either of those two circumstances are completely different. Um, so, you know, it's really hard to um, it's really hard for folk to um, reconcile those realities, but uh, they are realities nonetheless. So, of all the changes we have seen over the last few months, what do you think will stick, and what do you hope will stick? Um, ooh, that's a really that's a really good question. Um, I maybe. Maybe that um, that NZ Inc. will look after itself again, better for a while. It's kind of like we're at war, right? It, it, you know, people are, are you know people have died, but it's not horrendous like it is in other parts, other parts of the world. But but could be. 
So I just think about what happened after the after the Second World War with respect to you know people coming home and being looked after. I think actually I'll tell you what I do think with respect to the packages the government have put together for work. I I think that's going to be a real revelation on how important it was a decision, not now, but in the next. 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to employ a, an awful lot of people for infrastructure-related projects um, and others, to be fair, that will employ people that would otherwise be unemployed. So it's kind of like post-war kind of approach to this. So I, I do I do think that's going to stick, and I think it's going to be, be an enormous um, opportunity for New Zealand um, over and above most other places that aren't doing it quite like we have. And again, because we kind of need it, 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 its effects will be profound on on the future generations. We just have to figure out how we're going to pay for it, to be fair. Do you think we might see a change of language from recover to regeneration or rejuvenate or something more progressive? I, I I, to be honest, um, Sam, I think it started already. You know, I, th- I think it really has. Um, you know, we've, we've, you know, as I said before, we've stubbed our toe a little bit on with 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 Auckland, and but I, I do I do think we'll get over that. Um, and I'm going to probably suggest it's we're going to have some more of these things come along from time to time, and we will do the same thing wherever that might transpire. But I do think. Um, New Zealand generally um, is in the um, is in a not just a recovery but a rejuvenation mode, and I think the narratives about now, the, you know, the, the government's given out an awful lot of money for health and well-being, but it's also given a whole lot of money out for infrastructure investments. So I, I, I tend to think those will couple together because they're, they're only loosely coupled at the moment, but they'll they'll. They'll couple together nicely so people maintain employment and the benefits will be for NZN more generally. We drove up to Auckland a few weeks ago from Dunedin. The country is covered with orange cones. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be the fellow who invented those. <laughs> people have said that we can't yo-yo, but maybe we can. Maybe we have to. I... Well, I actually, I think, I think, in terms of our society survival, we we have to, we have to see. This is one of these things that's called a wicked problem, in my view. So, wicked problems are intractable problems that you can never really solve, and the only way that you do sort of um, coexist with them is you learn how to manage them really well. Agile, fast response, brutal in terms of your approach, and I mean that in a nice way, not a nasty way. So. I think that's what we we should we we should um, we should aspire to is to, is to manage these this wicked problem with an agility and a and a resolution that that allows us to um, to react when it happens in such a way that we close it down as as fast as we possibly can. Otherwise, you're kind of dead in the water, right? So I think to be fair, this this actually the second wave is going to be our really hardest test. The first wave was tough. I think the second wave will give an insight into into the the resilience of the nation more generally around locking down parts of the country, as we talked about in the first one, 
um, and 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 getting rid of it again, and then carrying on and waiting for the next one because it invariably will come. That wicked problems narrative plays out well for those of us with PhDs in systems thinking. Yeah. But it's a hard sell. Yeah, but it's reality. You know, life is not a, a, life is not a straight line. Life is not um, <laughs> a box of chocolates. Like, you know, life's, life's tough. And, and we get these challenges and, and problems that, that are not easy to solve. So we, we have to learn a narrative that, that you know, um, my parents and, and others um, from other generations and who perhaps haven't had the privilege of a, a, a crazy education can can capture in terms of the imagination and understanding of what's what's really difficult. And to be fair, most people have. You know, people are doing it. Um, and we just got to make sure that the people who are making decisions are making the right ones to, to enable it, to to get the outcomes that all of us seek. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's such a stretch potentially than it, than it is for, for, for what, it, what it would have been without COVID trying to do it with it, if that makes any sense. You ask me where to begin sin You ask me where did I fall I'll say I can't tell you when But if my spirit is lost How will I find what is near Don't question
So I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Whew. Actually, I finished my PhD on a personal note. Um, but what what I'm doing now, um, so I've come home from uh, working in the city, as uh, my widow knows, uh, and I'm helping um, Te Whanau Apunui, which is one of our iwis just down the coast uh, who are going through a settlement phase. So I'm helping uh, uh, probably one of the most vulnerable and um, uh, the highest deprivation in the sea group of people uh, in our country with their settlement. And I am having um, the most enjoyable time and uh, uh, providing, I guess, a little insight into the things that I know to help them with their aspirations for for the next hundred plus years. So my success is um, is being asked and operating within that space because I'm Pakia fella uh, and uh, and helping some some good people down there to uh, realise uh, their full potential, which is just a privilege to to call it as it is, I guess. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So what's the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Ooh, what's my superpower? Um, my, I, I think my superpower is um, showing other people theirs, if I'm going to be honest. Um, what I've done over the last 10 or 15 years is uh, where I can uh, show people where their turbo buttons are. And I'm talking about people who've also got PhDs, and so I can I can show people um, a vision for them that captures their imagination to make them better than they were yesterday, tomorrow. That's what I try and do. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, I, 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 to be honest, I. I didn't until relatively recently, which is really interesting because I've I've been living with my friends up the coast and I've seen the injustices up there. <laughs> and to be honest, it really annoys the I'm allowed to say crap, it really annoys the crap out of me. Um, in as much as that you know, what what you, you assume is, is mainstream New Zealand and what people get in terms of service and provision and stuff like that from from the centre and, and generally Folk up the coast just don't get it, and 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 I've been there ten minutes. I've been putting up for 180 years, so it's kind of like, and I'm pissed off already. So it's you know it's um it's new for me to be fair, but um I am I am learning that I'm way more of an activist I was a few months ago, or a few years ago than I am currently. To the point where I started ringing people and making some stuff happen where I can because it, it's just some stuff up, up the coast is just wrong and it just goes for Māori people generally who are underprivileged and stuff like that. So, yeah, maybe now. <laughs> and Māori, I've got to be a bit careful about being an activist because I'm a bit... <laughs> don't I? <laughs> no, never be a careful activist. <laughs> go hard or go home, Hayden. 
<laughs> yeah, you don't want to get away, maybe. <laughs> no. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, I, I, um, I, I, I think um, life is a privilege, to be honest. I see so many people who, um, who, you know, who struggle and, uh, and for, for folk like me and my, my darling wife, as I referred to earlier, we, 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 we have a, we are reasonably privileged, I suppose. My motivation is, is not to forget that. And, um, and I, I literally did come home to help, help home. So, um, I'm motivated by creating opportunities for others through education and, and through um, investments to to make communities better places to be. So um, yeah, I, I love life. To be honest, I, I think it's a privilege, and we should all embrace that. So, what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? Um, so, so, so I, I would like to I'd like to teach. Actually, there's a local. Um, uh, Wananga here, which is a First Nations university. Um, I do work internationally um, with other universities. I'm a visiting scholar in Canada with uh, with Ottawa, with the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy, and work with the uh, with that government over there. I'd like to bring some of that stuff here. Um, the First Nations university here, Te Whare Wananga Awanurangi, is is a real jewel in the crown for New Zealand that most New Zealanders don't recognise yet, and has a huge opportunities with uh, internationally with other uni- uh, other First Nations universities and other universities more generally. <clears throat> so I, my, my challenge is I'd like to to find a way to uh, support uh, Wudamu, who's the chief executive there and the and the council, um, with. Uh, with that, their their co-papa uh, and with their endeavours um, in the next few years, I'm not sure what that looks like because I'm not even employed by them to be honest. But I, I do, I do think it's in our part of uh, New Zealand, it's a really important piece of a of a community jigsaw puzzle that has a huge opportunity that um, that needs a little bit uh, more opportunity, which I, I'd like to try and help with. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, I do like the be kind thing um, in COVID. To be honest, uh, uh, that's that's really important. Um, I, I would also um, I would also offer not to be um, afraid to try something new. Because I think, you know, the, this world's going to change and whatever people are doing now won't necessarily be what they're doing in the future. So take any opportunity to go and do some more learning because I have this phrase that's come out of the, the Wanang I was just talking about, earning, learning and earning. So learn and earn and relearn and earn again. Don't be afraid of that. It's, a, it's an amazing opportunity that might be forced on you, but... Um, but in the fullness of time, it might be the best thing you ever did if you're in, in vocations now that don't aspire you and so on and so forth. So, yeah, give life a crack would be my 
my short answer. Thank you very much for that. Mawira. Um, Hayden, thank you very much. Uh, I know that there's a whole bunch of other things we could have talked to you about, in particular the restoration you're doing on that wetland on your property and uh, all the stuff you're doing for our native fish. And, um, but I really admire the work that you're doing with Tfano Apanui because I know that those guys do it really tough down the coast. It is one of the most isolated places in our country. Um, and uh, it's people like you who are willing to take their skills in there to support them in achieving their aspirations. That, for me, that's one of the most beautiful kinds of activism, and thank you for doing that. Yeah, they're a neat bunch of people, Mawera. They really are. It's mm. hard, to, hard to say how privileged I feel, to be honest, given all the stuff I've done. Still right at the top. Thank you very much for joining us. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed in podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. We've been listening to Zucchero's Il Volo, John and Vangelis's I'll Find My Way Home, and the London Philharmonic with Karl Off's setting of O Fortuna from Carmina Burana. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and Hayden Reed in Wainui. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.